Live from 51 Pega CB, it's Cheese Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, cheese a physicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to all the amazing dairy in the universe. We've got an exciting show for you today. In this show, we sample some of Earth's best cheeses and give you updates on what those crazy earth scientists think might be the answers to life, the universe, and everything. They are so far off base, but we enjoy it. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Cheeseman Studios in New New York City. So leave a voicemail to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with the Cheese Cadets. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> Cracking myself up and I'm barely started on our live streams on YouTube and Twitch. Go to spaceradioshow.com. So cheeseradioshow.com was not available. And since this show takes place in space, I've decided to call it spaceradioshow.com for the URL. But this is a very special April 1st edition of Cheese Radio. Go to the links there. Now, I have a lovely selection of cheese for us today. From my Earthling friends over at Dom's Cheese Shop uh, in the state of Connecticut. And they've they provided a lovely, lovely sample here. I don't know how they got it over to 51 Pegasus CBA. It certainly wasn't that Starshot initiative. That that was a bad idea. But that's that's a different show. Now, this today's cheese that we're gonna dig into and enjoy <laughs> together. I'm sorry. Uh it's a it literally, I love the label, how straightforward this label is and very descriptive it is. And so that you, you're not like wondering what it might be or what is it like? They're not getting fancy with the label. They're not getting uh, like, like, you know, like trying to be nuanced or this, they're subtle. It says goat cheese and red wine. Just, just straight up, just goat cheese and red wine. That is literally on the label product of Spain. It's a goat's milk, and they and they 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 poured red wine over all of it. Now it says the rind is not edible, which is a bummer because the rind is always pretty fun. Uh, I believe at the cheese shop they call this the drunken goat, and the story is um, that a long time ago they were making wine, and they also had goats, and a goat got in the wine and got drunk, and then they they came back later, and there was like a bit of cheese in the bottom. That sounds. That sounds not exactly true, but it makes her a great story. And apparently they told me at the cheese shop that is one of their most popular cheeses because people see the label like, oh, drunken goat. And they're like, just like me, I'm a drunken goat. I don't know what that, what that's supposed to mean. I don't know what a drunken goat is like compared to a human being. You know what this smells like? It smells like... Goat cheese and red wine. It smells like goat cheese and red. Like, like, look at that bright, vibrant, purple, deep purple. Is that a mauve? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not too great at color names. But rich, rich. rich. It's a shame you can't eat the rind because that looks like a yummy rind. So here's the deal, cheese cadets. Uh, I'm going to be munching on some of this cheese pretty much the whole episode. But I want to take a bite here. It's, it's a lovely goat cheese. Nice texture. Mmm, you know what it tastes like? It tastes like goat cheese and red wine. It's very pungent. Uh, no alcohol notes, uh, just that lovely, like, deep, 
red wininess. Like, I don't know. I'm not familiar with wines all that much. It tastes yummy. I know a lot of people like take like to take a bite of cheese and then take a sip of wine and combine the flavors. This does it for you. So if you like to consume wine while eating cheese, this is for you because it saves you one of the steps where you can just, it's a very portable format. If you're like on the road, busy person, doing all sorts of things, you don't got time to eat cheese and pour a glass of wine and then take a bite and take a sip, combine the flavors. No, this does it for you in one package because it is goat cheese and red wine. It's literally what it is. Product of Spain. Thank you, Spain, for thinking of that. Clever earthling. I'm like, hey, we got some wine. We got some cheese. Let's put them together. Now, folks, there's so much news today. Today was a very, very busy day for astrophysics, believe it or not, for Earth astrophysics. And so I actually want to share lots of cool news as I slice this cheese and continue to consume it throughout the episode. Please, uh, Space Cadets, please send your cheese-related questions to me today. Happy to answer questions. You know, I, I make this show up on the spot like I do every episode. But check this out. I've got something special for you guys. So I need to, and, and so Earth scientists like to do this thing, especially um, physicists, astronomers, astrophysicists. They have this thing, you know, they, they, they write journal articles, right? This is that they do some research, they write an article and they publish the res, the result in some journal like nature or the astrophysical journal or Bob's back page book of science astronomy. But they also release the papers on something called the archive. That's A-R-X-I-V, archive.org. It's been in operation since like, Oh gosh, forever, like the mid nineties or something has been around forever. And it's, you submit your article to the journal and you also put this on the, your, your journal article on the archive and then catalog it, they index it. And then they produce a daily listing of, of all the articles submitted that day. And in astronomy and astrophysics, there's mm, anyway between like 40 and 80 papers uh, published every day in astronomy and astrophysics all around the world. And, uh, and, and this is what people actually read. So this is what scientists actually read. They don't actually bother reading the journal articles because everything's available for free on the archive and you get daily updates and it's searchable and it's great. So today is April 1st and the archive was a very, very, very busy place. And I want to show you some very interesting papers that I came across today. So let me let me pull up my browser so here the cheese canets can can watch with me. So here's a very cool paper that popped up today. Pandemic dark matter. Pandemic dark matter. This is a, a article written by by Torsten Bringman at the University of Oslo where they hypothesize a new form of dark matter. Remember, we don't really know what dark matter is. And so they, they hypothesize some sort of interaction which, which uh, allows dark matter to transform normal matter into a new species of dark matter. So like if a dark matter particle intersects a normal particle, when they interact, out pops two dark matter particles, the original dark matter particle, and then they transformed original matter particle and it becomes a particle of dark matter. And so they call this dark matter... Uh, 
or pandemic dark matter. They ask everyone, uh, they say it can infect a heat bath of particles and exponential growth, uh, closely resembling an epidemic curve. And, uh, and also there's a certain flattening. Apparently this interaction can only spread so far. And so it's able to flatten the curve. This is a really dark joke. I gotta say, this is pretty twisted because we're kind of in the middle of the pandemic right now and people are dying and suffering. And so it's pretty miserable. But this is what physicists do when they can't go to the office and they can't go to their conferences in Aruba or Mykonos anymore. They get dark and they start proposing ideas for for dark matter based on, you know, based on the, the climate of the times. Anyway, that's pandemic dark matter. Here's another one. Uh, a lovely little story by uh, Henry Boffin, <laughs> who is located at the Extraterrestrial Institute for the Advancement of Earth, secret place, planet Earth, solar system, with the, <laughs> the collaborator WHY Can't I Sleep over at the Improbable Institute in Flatland writing a very important letter to the editor on the use of astronomy to the secret of the elixir of youth, a blue straggler stars. I really enjoyed this abstract. These are real articles that came out today. Using Gaia EDR3, we say the most spectacular and photogenic cluster of Ptolemy. Deriving its membership, we identify in its color magnitude diagram a star that can definitively decided to straggle. And dress in blue. Further analysis with the Farce telescope allows us to discover in its light curve the secret of its rejuvenation, which we gladly share in this paper. This research is an important contribution to attain the ultimate goal of astronomy as professed by DJ Format. I don't get that last joke. That sounds like a European joke. Look at this. <laughs> and they're just like photoshopping images of glass cl- gas clouds and nebulae to make it look cool. Cooking like an astronomer. Thus, astronomers had to go to the great burden of putting in space a dedicated spy satellite. This is this is great stuff. These are all this is all stuff. And they got pictures, the happy blue straggler. Look, there's like random diagram. Look at this. The secret of the blue straggler as revealed by its light curve, its two smiley faces. This is good, good stuff. I'm I'm enjoying this. When will the Far Stellas go finally launch? It's right after JWST. There's JWST, then Farce, then then the Roman Nancy Grace Roman Telescope. Next, I love this one. This is from Michael B. Lund at Caltech. The existential threat of future exoplanet discoveries. The existential threat of future planet exoplanet discoveries. So. I'm going to read the abstract. This, this, this abstract is like comedy gold. The last 25 years have been revolutionary in astronomy as the field of exoplanets has gone from no known planets outside the solar system to thousands discovered over the last few years. This represents a rapid increase, not just in known planets, but also in total planetary mass. What is heretofore unaddressed, however, is that this rapid increase in planetary mass may have disastrous consequences for the future of humanity. We look at how the number of planets and more importantly, the mass of the planets has changed in the past and how we can expect this to change in the future. This, the answers to these questions and how we respond to them will determine if humanity is able to survive beyond the next 230 years. 
Simple observation, the mass of known planets is increasing with time as we discover more planets. And in 230 years, this exponential increase, uh, the planetary, the mass of planets in the universe will overwhelm the entire universe. And that's, look at that right there, doubles every 39 months, the number of planets over time doubles every 39 months. And so the mass goes up, it's going to overwhelm the galaxy. Look at that massive planets over over time is going up exponentially. And by in just a few short couple centuries, it's going to overwhelm the entire galaxy. This is this is scary stuff. This is scary stuff. Then we have the Swapland. The the archive was the archive digest you wish you had every day. And there's all sorts of little in-jokes. Archaeologists unearth and translate ancient codes and their <laughs> ancient Susie codes going back to at least 1998. New proposal aims to bring muons together. I love that. If I have one more Zoom meeting today, I'm going to stab my eyes out. Area physicist deliberates whether to attend in-person workshop at Colorado Ski Resort. Review, latest seminar lacks emotional through line, relatable characters, compelling action. This is, uh, this is great. Classified ads, oh boy, free for sale. Box of dark matter models, free, accidentally acquired too many of them. Fair condition may require some tuning, must take all of them at once as some are broken or missing UV completions. And a little joke, that there, there are a lot of dark matter models. Free uh, or for sale, supersymmetry, beautiful in mint condition, but we just never got the chance to use it. Looking for someone good with modeling to turn into something more practical. Originally bought for one LHC, price negotiable, no strings attached. No strings attached. Several grad students sold individually or as a set. Cheap, please hire us. Oh my gosh, misconnections. Me, healthy infrared theory in search of a completion. You, beautiful ultraviolet theory. You think we have incompatible, incompatible Toft anomalies? But what if I dress in the right TQFT? That is so loaded with physics in jokes, it's gross. Me, a magnetic monopole. You, a scientist. That's Valentine's night. I passed through your superconducting ring. I'm sorry if it left you in. Fl- oh, that was gross. I observe Viner observing you, but I don't know what state you're in. Message me before I collapse. <laughs> I am a phenomenologist. You're an astronomer. I saw some data in a plot you finished splashed in a talk, and I think I can explain your two-sigma anomaly with my five-parameter model. Career opportunities. Data scientists sell your soul, but not completely. Babysitter. Maybe needs to be able to take care of multiple baby universes. Quantum person. If you quantum, we want you. Ultra quantum preferred. This is fantastic. Dyson vacuum service we clean while you wait. We use the most sustainable energy harness from a nearby star. No blades. This is good stuff. Wanted Axion. 5,000 citation reward. That's right. If you can find an Axion, you get 5,000 citations. Light, solar in origin, suspect of recent murder of 53 employees of Xenon 1 T Corp Limited, possibly in possession of Primakov and Axioelectric Firearms. Wow. This is good stuff. And then all these questions, this is, this is good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share all these links with Nancy. 
so that we can get these in the show notes so you can read this. This is all good stuff. I knew you were trouble emotion. This is a real paper, folks, from uh, Megan Mansfield and Daryl uh, Seligman at the Department of Geophysical Sciences at the University of Chicago. I knew you were trouble emotional trends in the repertoire of Taylor Swift. They did a regression analysis to find how happy she was based on her re- descriptions of her relationships, and they found a best fit line. And there's a correlation, a strong correlation with blue eyes, apparently. The Swampland conjecture, bound conjecture. I love this one because it's such like, uh, like there's a thing in string theory called the Swampland and people are like making these conjectures, like just random ideas. And so this is a play on that, like how many ideas can we generate about the Swampland? And apparently there are on order... <laughs> If we want to explore every single possible conjecture according to this model, there are 10 to the 117 number of conjectures, which means there are 10 to the 263 Hubble volumes in the multiverse, which must be driven to heat death to fully explore the string landscape via conjectural method. So it's going to take a lot of work, folks. The last one here, man, using artificial intelligence to shed light on the star of biscuits. The Yaffa Cakes. This must be a very, very British thing. Oh, University of Auckland. This is New Zealand, but I suspect it's a very, like, British cultural thing. There's this cake called a Yaffa Cake, and people debate if it's a if it's a biscuit or, like, a cookie or if it's an actual cake. And apparently the, this, this person, like, did a full analysis, machine learning analysis. My favorite plot in the paper is at the bottom, where the... They use like machine learning AI and the caption simply says, go home, AI, you're drunk. This is, this is what physicists do on April 1st. All right. We, they're bored. This mostly grad students are just sitting in the lab wishing they could be doing something else. But we do have some space cadet questions. Will you, Orson Zed from YouTube, will you tell Becky how bad the Big Bang Theory show is? I don't know who Becky is. Oh, is that Taylor Swift? Listen, I was never a fan of the Big Bang Theory. I get some of its humor was very nerdy and sourced from nerdy places. Uh, the characters in the Big Bang Theory, I never knew a single person that looked or acted like, like that in my entire career as a student and as a professional physicist like i didn't know anyone that that looked like that that acted like that 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 treated other people like that like everyone i i've almost everyone i've known in my professional career been wonderful human beings and not stereotypes and so it just bugged me because i would look at these characters and they weren't even caricatures they were just their own characters that didn't exist in real life and then and then it was just like pretending to be nerdy and when it it really wasn't. It was just a standard sitcom with standard sitcom setups and humor. Do I speak Spanish? I only know one word. No. <laughs> what happens if lactobacillus, this is Orson's ad again, infects the Milky Way? I wouldn't call it an infection. I wouldn't call it an infection. I would say this is we're, we're right here on Space Radio. We're going to develop our own theory. We're going to call it Panchesia. Panchesia. 
where um, asteroids strike planets, throw up uh, cheese molds, and then the cheese molds survive transit to another world. And then there's a new form of cheese that develops on that world. And, and then it just spreads throughout the galaxy slowly over time. So I think I think the universe isn't tuned to create life. I think the universe is tuned to create cheese. I think this, especially goat cheese in red wine, is exactly what the universe is here for. All these fundamental constants and parameters is... It's, it's here. It's cheese. Cheese is the ultimate evolutionary step. This is why the universe exists. I think we figured it out. So Pancheesia is, is coming. Uh, Infinite Monkey on YouTube. What is the rind made of? I think it's just normal goat cheese rind, but they, they dunk the whole thing in red wine as it's doing its whole cheesy thing. I don't know why it's not edible. It smells nice. Maybe. I really don't know. I wish it was because it looks like a very yummy rind. Sergio, Sergio, hey Sergio, is uh, do you think SpaceX will nail the landing procedure or will they need some extra device like an assisting crane? I could go on, like SpaceX, they, they got to try a lot. Space is hard. I, I don't know what else to make a joke out of that. Like just space is really hard and like landing rockets is super hard. I think the design of the spaceship, the space, the SpaceX spaceship is dumb. I can tell you that much. I don't like the looks of it at all. I love the Falcon nine. Uh, I like the Falcon heavy, but the spaceship starship, whatever they're calling it, it just looks dumb. It, I don't like the shiny metal vibe. It's like, I know it's trying to be like retro uh, but then actually work and be and be cool. But I don't like it. And if you, if you're with me, let me know. And if you're against me, let me know too. Uh, Farshad is asking: Will this uh, James Webb ever launch in our generation, or perhaps in the 22nd century? I still believe our universe is older than 13.7 billion years old. Yeah. I don't know when James Webb is going to launch. Supposedly, it's supposed to launch this November. It's been delayed by like a decade. So what's another decade under our belt? What's another 10 bajillion dollars to give the James Webb up? I hope it launches. I want the James Webb to go up. I want it to be in operation. I want it to be in, in its in its Lagrange point, making its observations, doing all of its cool sciencey stuff, targeting uh, a baby planets forming around other stars. I wanted to target the first stars and galaxies to appear in the universe. I really, really, really want the James Webb to be up. I really wish it was up like five years ago. There are people who are just sitting around like scientists, young scientists who are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. I don't have too much experience with the James Webb, but I do have a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues who have been working on the Nancy Grace Roman telescope, which used to be called W first and spent their entire grad school career, postdocs, uh, designing, studying, preparing for this mission to launch this massive galaxy survey mission to launch. 
and it keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed because it can't go up until James Webb goes up. And so they, they're like ready to start collecting data, ready to start doing analysis, ready to start understanding the universe, but they can't. They're just sitting around doing simulations and mocks while they're waiting. And then they're burning out their entire careers just doing simulations and mocks and play pretend and prep and analysis while they're waiting for it to launch. And so it's just such a waste. Like, don't ever forget, like, in these delays, it's not just engineering. It's not just budget. Like, there are scientists who are trying to devote their lives to using these instruments and simply can't because it's getting delayed too much. And it's hurting. And the the senior scientists can survive just fine because they'll just get another grant. They'll hang on for another few years. No big deal. But the young scientists who are trying to get tenure or trying to get positions, like they're just, they're just wasting their time. I'm seeing a lot of heartache. I'm seeing a lot of heartache. Fifth dimension on YouTube was the physics of blank holes. So a blank hole is a very, very interesting feature of space-time which doesn't exist. And so we would love to talk about it, but we can't because there's nothing to talk about. And so this results in a paradox, a paradox of information loss because there's supposed to be information about blank holes, but there isn't. And you can't create or destroy information. And so where is this information going? Uh, Stephen Hawking, you know, who the Hawking radiation guy, uh, he developed another theory about blank holes, which he found that blank holes, when you're not looking at them, become something. They become regular holes, like just full normal holes. But then as soon as you start looking at them, they go blank and you can't see them anymore. And so this has been argued about for decades now, ever since he worked out the theory back in the 1970s. And in the, the, the blank hole information paradox is a big deal. The, the blank hole entanglement continuum problem is, is a big issue. Like we really don't know what's going on with the blank holes. And every time we try to study them, they go away. Very challenging astronomical target. Uh, Larry Beckham is saying, Scientific American is reporting that a finite speed of light is proof this universe is a simulation. Are you sure? Are you sure that that's not an April Fool's joke? Because that sounds like a really, really dumb argument. The whole universe is... I'll do a YouTube episode special on is the universe is a simulation. It's such a lame philosophical argument like a philosopher came up with it full actual philosophers like totally demolished the argument because it's so lame so poorly constructed but for some reason it caught the imagination of nerds and physicists and computer scientists who get to wonder a lot like do we really live in a simulation like are we a robot's dream and there are some plausible sounding arguments surrounding it. But then once you dig in, the, the arguments all far apart. But that's, that's, uh, that's for a different show. Um, how do we detect exoplanets that don't transit their stars? We don't. We don't. Can't see it. Uh, CDP is asking, have I ever actually made cheese? I've made some cheese. Very, very simple cheese. So I've made like cottage, uh, or not cottage, like farmer's cheese. I made mozzarella once and I got so sick. I puked for like three days. I guess I did it wrong. Maybe I used the wrong kind of bacteria Mm. in that mozzarella that I made. I stopped there. Every once in a while I'll make like a a simple farmer's cheese. 
I looked into it. Yes, I am eating cheese right now. I looked into like making cheddar and the presses and just the amount of time and effort and care and attention it would take for a small block of cheese. I have a lot of patience, but not that much. And so I just go to the grocery store. And who needs to make cheese when you have a cheese sponsor like the wonderful people at Dom's Cheese Shop who keep this show going? Speaking of keeping this show going, thank you so much. Go to patreon.com slash PM Sutter to keep going. Thank you, Russell, for the super chat. Oh, he asked a serious question. How can we tell the dark matter is not neutrinos? The neutrinos, one, there's not enough of them. They have too little of a mass uh, to account for all the dark matter. And two, they're too hot. They're too fast. And so if you want the dark matter to be made out of neutrinos, you can't have um, any structure smaller than a galaxy because they move around too quickly. Uh, They can't settle down and glue together to anything smaller than a galaxy. And since there obviously are objects smaller than a galaxy, neutrinos can't be the dark matter. Also, they just don't weigh enough. There's not nearly enough of them. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching this very special edition of Cheese Radio. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you again, Nancy Graziano, for making all the back end of this show possible. And, of course, thank you, Cheese Cadets, for listening. See you next week. And remember, cheese is not for sharing. I'm eating all this for myself. End of transmission. (laughs) 